This is Regenerative Skills, the podcast helping you to learn the skills and solutions to create an abundant and connected future. I'm your host, Oliver Gaucher. All right, hey there, everybody, and welcome back. So I've talked a lot about drought and water management on this podcast, of course. It's becoming a bigger and bigger part of my work and specialization, both in the work that I do with private clients and through the network of farmers that I work with through Climate Farmers. Now, at the moment, these topics are really hitting home for another reason. So Catalonia, the region where I live in northeastern Spain, is currently experiencing the most severe drought in its recorded history, and there is little relief in sight, even here in February. Now, obviously, I'm not from this area of the world myself, and though I've built a competent understanding of my local context and the water management history of this region, I'm always looking to better understand the scope and the options of what is happening in this time of climate emergency. Now, another big focus of mine lately has been to reach out and make connections with the others in the area who are working on nature-based and regenerative solutions to the challenges that we face in hopes of supporting existing efforts and making myself useful to the people in the organizations who've been working in this space for a long time. Now, one source of unification around these efforts in my area and consistent messages of inspiration and hope come from the small company La Casa Integral. And today, I had the pleasure of speaking to Aline, one of the co-founders of the company. So Aline van Moorbecke is Flemish-Belgian by birth, but she feels most Mallorquina after spending over 20 years in San Roqueta on the island of Mallorca. She currently lives with her partner Juan Pedro in the Maresma region just up the coast from Barcelona in Catalonia, where they run their business La Casa Integral, which is a permaculture and ecological design company focused on the needs of the community of the Balearic Islands and northeastern Spain. Aline is also the co-founder of Permacultura Mediterránea and is highly active in many networks and initiatives in this region. So in this episode, Aline and I begin by talking about the unique journey that she took to begin a career in permaculture education and regenerative design. From there, we go into the unique context behind the current drought and how Catalonia is wrestling with this challenge. Now, since she's made an incredible effort to participate in and lead many discussions at various levels of government, industry, and communities, she gives me an overview of the ideas and the solutions that are being proposed and the entrenched ways of thinking that are holding progress back. Through her work at La Casa Integral, she and Juan Pedro have advanced many unique water-saving and recycling solutions and we explore some of them and even take a closer look at natural black water filtration systems that they're known for designing and installing for many different use cases. We also talk about reasons for hope in the policy and the institutional structures at our local level, and we explore the first steps that anyone listening can take to gain better understanding of their own opportunities to participate in the restoration of their own water systems at any scale. Now, this interview is a first step towards two things that I'm trying to do more of this season. The first is to highlight the incredible work that is being done by so many local people in my area, partly to build closer relationships with themselves, partly to demonstrate that most of the really effective people in this space are not necessarily the big names of famous people from your documentaries and your social media threads, and partly to show what it could look like for some of you listeners to explore your own local scene of regenerative workers and advocates instead of always looking outside your communities for solutions. Many of the topics that I'm passionate about and that I like to focus on might not be relevant or interesting to you, but the idea of connecting with and exploring the hyper-local community of like-minded people doing good work around you is more important than a couple of highly effective but isolated actors. Another theme that I'll be promoting this season is that of inspiring examples of collaboration. These are people who break the mold of protectionist business practices or ivory tower academics and competitive paradigms of commerce. Aline and La Casa Integral are a perfect example in my area of folks who are leading through collaboration and by including the voices and the expertise of as many people as they can. Their creation and participation in countless committees and online groups, advocacy organizations, and volunteer initiatives show a true commitment to the larger vision of realizing change in our region. And I know that this chat will inspire you as it did for me, even if the challenges in your region have more to do with too much water rather than too little. And so with that said, I'll hand things now over to Aline van Moorbecke. 
Aline, thank you so much for being here. It's a pleasure to connect with you again, more formally this time. And to get us started, why don't you give me a little bit of your background, how you came to live in Spain, first of all, and work in ecological regeneration and design? Hmm. Well, how I came to work in Spain is probably the reason why I am in ecological restoration, because it couldn't be more bad. <laughs> I came in as a as a hotel entertainer when I was studying uh, at university. So during the summer months, I was working on Ibiza and Mallorca in hotels like mass tourism. I was looking after children and drunk adults <laughs> in all these clubs. And after that, yeah, one of those years, I, I stayed on Mallorca because of love. So I met somebody who was living on a sailing boat and it was like, oh, wow, this is the life. I'm going to sail away into the sunset with this person and off we go. And the sailing away into the sunset didn't get very far. Actually, we just stayed in the Mediterranean and on our way around and then back from Malta in Mallorca, we said, let's just stay here and do a few seasons of work, gather some funds. And then after that, we'll hop across to the Caribbean and do the thing, like as in be backpacking around the world and live happily ever after. Of course, it didn't get to that because I'm here. <laughs> and what happened between then and now basically is I started working in yachting on Mallorca. I started then working in real estate. Things got got very economically frantic, very fast. This was like the period 2005, six, seven, eight, boom. <laughs> and the whole world was on its backside economically. So this is the time when I also left the sailboat and came to live on land and realized, wait, all these systems that were so manageable on a boat are now all of a sudden not under my control. Where is the water coming from? Where is it going to? And specifically water and also energy, like I have more than I need on the boat. It was all very limited, but at least I knew what I was using, etc. So yeah, that was a bit of a shock 2009. It was in like, wow, it's been growing, 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 but I didn't need this when I was living on the boat. So why should I now need it? And that's when I learned about permaculture. This was also the time that Darren Doherty was starting to come to Spain. So I was lucky enough to fall in with all those people that were in the groove at the same time. So that was Daniel Wall organizing a Gaia ED on Mallorca. I took part. I wanted to change the real estate from within. And I actually went for bioconstruction to the Gaia uh, Eco Village Design course. And then I found permaculture and I said, oh, let's forget about bioconstruction. I need to be looking at vegetation and soil and, and how do we go about getting our food in a more uh, sustainable way, etc. So yeah, a few months down the line, we received Richard Perkins to teach a PDC, a first PDC. I also become a volunteer on that course. And it was just one after the other. There was so much happening, so many people that came out of the Gaia Education Eco Village Design course started fabulous processes and projects. And we also started our association Permacultura Mediterranea in that same year as the Gaia ED course. So since then, basically, I've been learning and implementing and falling flat on my face and starting again and learning some more. And yeah, then it comes to uh, 2020 and after a lot of networking and I had also already gotten my permaculture diploma in 2018. So I, I was in touch with networks on the mainland as well, mainland Spain. And this is where I met Juan Pedro in 2015. We first met at one of the first permaculture convergences here on the Iberian Peninsula. And then a few years later, we are locked down together during the pandemic. 
And this, of course, gave a lot of um, time and space for becoming creative about design and about our livelihoods, all of a sudden not being able to work what we were doing before it was like, OK, so how do we go about being creative in front of this change? And out of that came La Casa Integral, our design studio and training team and a demonstration site here in Catalonia. Man, that is quite a journey. And it's so interesting for me to share the overlap in the mentors and the teachers that we've both had, Darren Doherty, Daniel Vall, Richard Perkins, and others, and the, the organizations that we've worked with mutually as well, Guy Education and others. And I can also remember back to where I was during the pandemic lockdown here in Spain. I had just come over for the first time, well, the second time. And that also coalesced an urgency and a focus with my partner and I that started us looking for the farm where we are now. And I've watched as your entity has grown and has taken on such beautiful and ambitious projects and really been a voice in this region for what is possible and how to deal with and look at in a hopeful way many of the challenges that we've been facing in these last few years. In fact, I've looked to a lot of your communication for similar inspiration and local contacts to go into further. So first of all, thank you so much for that. And tell me, well, maybe let's let's go back and look at some of the real challenges that this area has faced in the last few years since you and I have been very active here. Mm, yeah, actually, I do. I do want to go back. As you said, yeah, a lot of mentors and all of a sudden I hear this list of male names and I'm like, wait a minute, there was like <laughs> loads more people and many of them were actually female, especially if not, if I'm thinking to where I'm now and where uh, we want to be focusing as in coastal restoration. This is definitely because I've had the opportunity to uh, learn and spend time with uh, Rosemary often. She came to Mallorca several times and she's just now rewritten her book, Earth Restorer's Guide to Permaculture, in which she puts a lot of emphasis on ocean restoration and coastal design. So this is where we connect with what we're mostly doing now in La Casa Integral, which is water design and avoiding water runoff and contamination happening on the land to get into the ocean and into the Mediterranean Sea in our case. So yeah, Rosemary was definitely on that list, Robin Playfield for facilitation, Robina McCurdy who also came over, Louis McNamara, and lots of people in the Permaculture Women's Guild that I've collaborated with. So just wanted to touch on that. Oh, thank you <laughs> so heard. much for making time for that too. There's so many women influences that I could mention as well, uh, especially from my natural building days, almost all of the women that I or the people yeah. that I learned to build from were women as well. I think where you were talking about these coastal ecosystems along the Mediterranean is so important because when you look at a population map, especially of Catalonia and in many other places around the Mediterranean, the population centers and concentrations are really along the coastline. And tell me about how that has affected the ecological health and the community health of these areas over time. Mm, yeah. So if we if we look at the areas that we are uh, active in because we live there and I used to live on Mallorca for over 20 years and now on the Maresma coastline north of Barcelona and just south of the Costa Brava, all these areas, they are tourism dominated, I think, uh, definitely so on the island of Mallorca. So the, what do you call this, the, the duck with the golden eggs? Is it a duck, they say in English? <laughs> or a hen? Or Yeah, the golden egg would be like the beautiful Mediterranean water. And that is right now what is lacking in many of these areas, because how often have you not heard, oh, the blue flag has been taken away or the beach has been closed because there is an overflow from the purifying plant they cannot take the stress of summer residents and the yeah the purification is just not happening so we have leaks of contaminated waters into the bays into the mediterranean sea and this is where we can definitely do so much with nature-based solutions and with decentralized work within our homes and communities so we've um 
we've looked at this extractivist culture that we have in all of these coastlines. Like we take water out of the out of the Earth's crust, we then use it and we send it out as soon as we can out into sea. And all that we are using, it will also end up in the sea, but contaminated. So ouch and in the last few years we've seen a lot of storm freak storm events that made for unfortunately even had mortal victims i'm now thinking back to i think it was october 2018 there was 13 people dead in mallorca and the response of the administrations is then open the torrents make water disappear faster and you go no wait where did we miss on education what happened to learning about the water cycle this should not be this way the fresh water is such a fragile resource there's so little of it why on earth would you want to send it off into the sea that fast <laughs> so this is probably a bit more prominent over the last few years especially now here in catalonia emergency phase one drought and still people go along those lines of yeah, let's just get rid of any storm water and <laughs> let's just take salt water out of the sea and make it into fresh water. We don't even think about all the connections that this has systemically and energy footprint, etc. And so, yeah, sometimes it becomes a yeah tough listening to politicians on the radio talking about all these solutions. And you really want to just stand up and be able to talk to these people and say, wait, there is a missing link. There's something not right here. There's no green tech solution for this. We need to go back to yeah, low tech, nature tech. I completely agree. I mean, that has been a big part of what I am hearing from the official lines of communication about what they see as the solutions that they want to invest in, that they want to promote at infrastructure level here in Spain, but especially in Catalonia, which is the context that we're most familiar with, is tech-based infrastructure and really more of the same that we've been seeing for decades. I mean, this is a very highly impacted watershed in our communities. There's basically three major rivers with a couple of smaller tributaries that run into them. There's the Ebro, on the far west side that comes from outside of Catalonia, but empties in the Delta de Ebro region and is key to most of the farming in the western provinces of Tarragona and, and Lleida. And then we have the Llobregat, which is the most prominent one that is the supply line for Barcelona and largely inadequate for the consumption needs of that municipality. And then we've got the Ter, which is in the Girona region, and the small river that runs in front of my property is a smaller tributary to that. And if anybody has seen any of the news communications around the drought that we're experiencing currently, the most common images are of the Pantano de Sao, which is the major reservoir for the Terra River. And that is 15 minutes north of my house. And it is currently at 4% or lower capacity. And so these are my references to what I've been researching in this area. Can you tell me from your communication with policymakers and industry people in, in this area, currently what they see as solutions, what are the conversations being had at these emergencies that we're facing at the moment? Well, recently I was at a forestry, what would you call it, one of these days that are in collaboration with the administration actually, where they are presenting what they are doing in topics of uh, regenerative agriculture or forestry or vines, etc. And, and they're doing quite well because they are making space for permaculture and syntropics and all these new, new types of uh, techniques. Probably they are bringing them closer to local, local farmers. But this one in particular was talking about how to manage water in forestry context. And there I heard that the main vision that they have, and this was the, the agency for uh, Catalonian waters, the ACA, we need the liters per person to get to the end. So the interventions that they are making, for example, at the uh, start of all these water basins would be to cut trees so that these trees do not take the water that needs to get down to the city. And I was 
falling over it. And, and one of these talks was from, I won't name names, but it, it was like a professor at a university locally. And he was also talking about, we need to cut back so the vegetation doesn't use the, the water resources in the soil. And we need to look at the, the best use of water. So some trees are better than others to leave, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I, I raised my hand and I made a suggestion. Yeah, what about the biotic pump? What about getting the water cycle going again locally so that we can all get back into normal rain patterns, etc.? And this person's answer was, well, but, you know, what goes up in the air in the way of evaporation won't rain down here. Oh, on them directly, was, like it'll go a little bit further yes, up, upstream. I was it's stunned. I was like, I, yeah. I couldn't respond. I, I, I was just processing what I was hearing. I was like, yes, so what? If everybody <laughs> says this, <laughs> then we're left without any rain. The places with the most <laughs> intact water cycles are those with no vegetation, namely deserts, right? <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> oh my <laughs> so, goodness. Yeah. It's it's really hard, but it's I guess we need to we need to be grateful and put into the equation that they are actually offering communication with the audience, with the public at large, with the citizens, that these these events are free of charge, etc. And there's a few different organizations always present. But yeah, I'm, I'm well. We're getting there, but I'm sometimes so anxious. And this is where the activist burnout has already uh, visited me a few years back. So I'm like, okay, don't get too excited. Just be happy with whatever we can be doing. And we will one day hit the tipping point. So, Of these events that you've participated in and the people that you've had a discussion with or, or heard from from policy levels, are there anything at the moment that give you hope um, that that things might start to turn around, that new approaches and solutions are being considered and actually being implemented as well. Mm, yeah, actually, we are currently uh, operating, I should say, uh, maybe not say it <laughs> publicly, but for some of the solutions that we are implementing, we are working outside of the law because there just is no legislation at this moment in Catalonia for the black water solutions that we are offering. There are there are legal marks and and frameworks for the grey waters, so that's that's a start, I guess. This is definitely needed as well because grey water is really such low nutrient loads that we we shouldn't even be seeing it as wastewater. I don't know what people are using in their grey water that is so toxic because mostly it's what comes out of our body or comes off of our body. So how are we so toxic? If we want to put these products on our skin, then why should we not be able to reuse them in our gardens and vegetation? So, but talking about Blackwater, there is no legal framework and we depend on professionals that we collaborate with. We have a whole network of people we work with from architects to design studios to engineers to yeah, other consultants that actually come to us specifically for the water and they just say, don't you worry. I totally believe in this. I totally trust this. We've also worked with global permaculture organizations on getting information out there and asking people to share information with us on case studies elsewhere, on observations and results that they can share with us scientifically, etc. Uh, because, for example, right now in Catalonia, we need to be able to show water uh, levels are okay. But in our particular um, nature-based solution where we work with worms, a artificial wetland, and then the fertile or the alive soil, um, we would need to send soil samples at the end of our system. And that is not currently accepted within the legal framework. No, we need the water. Well, the water still has nutrients in it, of course, because we want to use them in the soil and avoid having to buy fertilizers. But this is not currently possible. So when I was in, in Findhorn and visiting the living machine and uh, Michael Shaw showed us the, the two trains the two lines of purifying tanks that they had in Fintorn looking after wastewater black 
wastewater coming out of a biodigester of about 350 people, I think. He was saying, okay, so to be legally okay, we are good in the middle of the line. So this is where our DBO is at 30, which is already lower than what we are legally here allowed, I think, which is at 80. But we have doubled the line just to show that it is possible. And we go all the way to the end of the line with more tanks, double the capacity. And at the end, the effluent, the water that came out of these tanks was giving a beautiful little pond space to some koi fish. So this is fantastic. So we get the result. We see that plants and in some installations wetlands so plants in combination with soils the the top engineers when it comes to water they can actually purify water so much that it can become drinking water quality which is what we've been doing forever before industrialization and contamination came along mm -hmm. uh, so but uh, if we want to be thinking as permaculture designers and catch and store energy where we have it well we have nutrients in this water in this black wastewater that comes out of our homes hotels campsites you can scale this up and down as you please so why not avoid the purchase of uh, synthetic fertilizers and use our own nutrients in our own vegetation so decentralized solutions uh, with nature-based uh, techniques. Yeah, so at the same time, for sure. Hmm. And where do you see hope on, let's say, a more regional level uh, beyond just the, the purification side or solutions for individual homes or neighborhoods? Do you see anything advancing from policy or regional level management? Yeah, we're being told that there is right now a group of um, experts working on legislation, for example, in Catalonia, because, of course, legislation is very slow to change. I don't know if you've ever heard of these laws that have been forgotten and they are still there in the codex from like 200, 300 years ago. Oh, more and, than oh, that. I bumped up yeah. against the law when I was going through the legislation. And, and the, the permits and stuff to buy this house that is a remainder from the Roman period. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to give a perspective to people out here about how bureaucracy works in this region, yes. Yeah, crazy. <laughs> so, but yeah, but we have, we have news that there is indeed a university group of experts together with another entity that works with wastewaters and bioremediation in terms in terms of water and the ACA, the Catalonian Water um, Agency, they are working on legislation because they know they are running late. There's now so many case studies all across the world. And of course, the need is here as well. So the, the emergency situation is in front of us. And uh, yeah, let's, let's look at it that way. The crisis is uh, opportunity. So hopefully they'll get to that. We have also had visits to some of our installations by municipal tech, technical personnel who have come and said, okay, we're doing a check in the area because there is a leak. We have found wastewater down below in the village. Of course, most of these bioregions that we are working in are coastal mountainous areas. So we work with nature, we work with gravity in most of our installations, which is great because this saves on pumping electricity and this keeps everything low tech and totally off the grid. And so we had this um, town architect visit this property and he was amazed and he was like, wow, this is fantastic. Everybody should be doing this. So if it is from person to person and people with a bit of sensitivity to the topic, I think we're going in the right direction. And yeah, maybe also working on those relationships is important. Yeah, we have a good relationship with our with our town hall here as well. And the mayor, we went and presented ourselves when we were coming out of lockdown and we were like, okay, let's work in our new community because I was, I was not from here. And I wanted to ask them what they think we could bring to the area rather than come in and say, we are the permaculture designers. We shall come and redo and reshape your municipality. 
No, so we asked them, what do you need? And he was surprised. And he said, well, I think you all know more about all these kind of topics than we do, because we have only just now, only just last month, had a training from experts who came in from Barcelona on the SDGs. So we are just getting our feet and, and finding our way. What is all this? Oh dear, we're running late. We were about to say, oh, this was supposed to be common knowledge before we were going into the decade of ecosystem <laughs> restoration. Nonetheless, they are working on it. They're making time for it. I understand they have a lot on their plate as well. So when we were offering our help in whatever he thinks we needed, he said, we are the only village that doesn't have cabgrosos, like the giants. Yep. The typical Catalan festivity. So I think carnival, yeah. exactly working with culture is very important. So if we can get our way around making this more fun and making this like a festive activity to be involved in, I don't know, let's let's invent a party around water restoration and they might jump on board and <laughs> yeah, but it's coming. I think, I think we're going. Now, you've talked vaguely about some of the things that I have started to notice you are carving out a niche in, in your company, and that is these black water treatment facilities. I believe though these are the ones you, you refer to as CIRARs. Can you tell me more about these specifically? Because I am very interested not only to, to hear your description, but also to participate in a training in, in this upcoming year. <laughs> Yeah, well, this is again, this is not new knowledge. This is this is all out there. And we've just put some elements together. And then we started working. And since 2019, actually, we've been installing these, we've tested some first on Mallorca. This is this is out there. And we were looking mostly at Wendy Howard's uh, website, vermicompostingtoilets.net. She has also worked hard to make this common knowledge in public. And so whoever wants to learn more about the worm composting side of things, which would basically be if we're talking legal frameworks, this would be the primary treatment. This is the, the worm filter, which is a carbon carbon bed. The worms live in this carbon bed. There might be some biochar actually swimming about as well to soak up some of the extra nutrients and contaminants. And then through this filter, which is a like a, a IBC deposit, through this filter, the wastewater goes very rapidly. Uh, so imagine you're just pressing the button on your toilet, out goes the water with some solids in there. And the solids, they stay behind in the carbon bed of wood chip with the worms going, aha, our food is here, let's go and eat. But the water is immediately gone. So how long is this water in touch with our feces? Not very long. Hence, it will have a rather low nutrient charge. Off it goes then into a artificial garden bed, sorry, artificial wetland, which is an aquatic garden bed with all the typical water plants uh, with their with their special spongy structures to oxygenate the, the rounded gravel bed, of course. And it's with the combination with these bacteria that they soak up all the extra nutrients in the water. And if the bed is about one square meter per person, we are doing okay. Some people are a bit more squeaky or cautious, and they would like to pr uh, provide one and a half square meters per person, but we're working with one square meter per person. And then starting, this is a, a horizontal flow beds, starting the systems off, we see that the, that the roots are maybe still very short, not so strong, not so... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, my head is thinking in many languages and sometimes the words <laughs> just don't come you. out. So yeah. <laughs> sounds work better. But so if, if the plants are very young or we are in winter season and we have an extra load, for example, we have visitors, then maybe we can help the system along by sending it back through the aquatic garden bed with a small solar pump. 
and then the uh, water is basically pushed out of the aquatic garden bed by new water coming in. So this is the Archimedes principle. So there's no pump or anything running other than maybe the little solar pump if you want it to go through the system again. And uh, we then accumulate about 40 to 60 litres in another deposit. And once this is full, this is basically a mechanical siphon that automatically then sucks out the water. If you're working with gravity and your fertile soil, the, the vegetation in combination with a fertile soil that is ready to take your effluent water is underneath the system, then great, you can just have it going as it comes through, like, for example, in a banana circle for grey water. But as we have several terraces and several plantations and some are on the same level a bit further, that's why we use this third deposit, which is the mechanical siphon, so that it gets a bit of strength behind it so we can move it over a longer distance and also this gives us the opportunity to check the effluent water and if we see that when the system is very young oh well it's on the edge then maybe we also put a little aquarium pump in this deposit to get some extra oxygen through and just um, to make sure that there is no dangerous load but there's there's so little when we're talking about the water at this stage it's basically already gray water the loads are are already very low but because we have these legalities that we want to be working towards so we don't want to maybe totally adhere to them because we think they're silly if you also think that we are uh, allowed to have 80 dBO in our urban systems coming out of any wastewater purification system. But on our food in agriculture, you could have up to 10,000. <laughs> so this is like crazy. E. coli, we can't have any in our own wastewater, although they are our E. coli. <laughs> I pooped them out. I shall be okay when they come onto my plants and trees, etc. But I don't know about all these E. coli, about all these other people that have been sprayed on the food that I buy. So, yeah, this is um, we need to we need to put time and money into lab testing. But it's been really it's been overwhelming how much how much interest there is in our work. Also, we both are activists and we both have an association, so we both still want to be doing a lot of volunteering work. And yeah. um, so also it's it's been hard to totally focus only on the professional side of things, although both our associations are now also professionalizing because of the demand that is out there. And of course, people want to make a living and better even if it is a right livelihood, if it is with something that we are all passionate about, which is working in favor of life and working with nature. So this is a, a great evolution. And I have to say, this is thanks to the pandemic. So great things happen when pandemics strike. <laughs> I mean, it's just a matter of stretching out the time and seeing all of the effects that something seemingly tragic in the beginning can be turned into with the right mindset and the right steps forward. Let's go a little bit more into the concept of this for people who would perhaps be interested in integrating it into their own homes. For an installation for an average family home, let's say somewhere between three to five people, right? Mm -hmm. What type of space requirements? What are some of the other considerations that someone would need to, uh, to think about before installing something like this? Well, we never say that there, there is a one recipe and that it needs to be A, B, Z, Y. We can look at all types of contexts and adapt the design to all of the types of houses and exits, etc. that you might have. And Juan Pedro is even getting stuck into urban designing now. He wants to have a vertical CIDAD happening for balconies and and sods because we were asked to design a system for a hotel on Mallorca and there in this one area of hotels it really is hotel next to hotel next to hotel oh, wow. so there we were going to be pumping uh, gray waters up 
and then have them come down on the facades again and work with vegetation in vertical gardens, etc. So there's there's uh, really no limit other than the designer's imagination. But if we are looking at a standard CIRAR, then we would want at least 80 centimeters of difference between the house outlet and the top of the first uh, treatment, which is the vermicomposting. So that's already a difference in, in level. Working with gravity makes this easier that way. From the bottom of the vermicompost tank, of course, we will be using that water to go into an aquatic garden bed. So again, that difference is about a meter, a meter 20, we're up to two meters then. And from there, it would be ideal if you have more slope still, but if you don't, we can cover some distance with the siphon's power. So the two meter between outlet from the house and uh, and the end of the system is in slope, in difference. And then we have the one square meter for the vermicompost, the primary treatment, and the one square meter per person for the aquatic garden beds. Very reasonable, I think. That's that's fitable in, in a lot of contexts and even on small spaces can definitely be integrated. And I would imagine too that the gardens that come out of this in the end, the wastewater treatment gardens, are quite attractive. I mean, I've seen some of the pictures and the videos that you've posted online. These are beautiful features to integrate into a yard. Well, yeah, and they can be, again, whatever you would want to be eating or using, and it depends on your activity professionally as well. We've been taking courses with the local association to work with Tifa latifolia, which is one of the plants that we use in the aquatic garden bed. So to be able to restore somebody's profession, like this artisan way of uh, weaving these baskets and these uh, seats of the chairs, it's like the person teaching the workshop it's not so long ago, a few months ago, he was saying that there's only one guy still in Catalonia that knows this particular pattern that is very hard to weave with these plants. And this person is already elderly. So if we lose that person, we lose this pattern of weaving those plants. And it's like, wow, it's so sad. But you know, this is just the one thing that you could do with what comes out. So you can think, especially in our area here, we live in the Montnegra, in the natural park. So it's a very dry, we're also on the south side, so it's a very dry ecosystem right now. Fire risk is very high and we crazily have loads of these urbanizations in the middle of the natural park. So having fire belts would be fantastic. And if we as a community can come together with several houses or several streets and work on the flanks of where this fire risk is the highest, we could make beautiful hedges of fire resistant or fire retarding plants. So they are just some of the options that you could give to this, we call it intelligent vegetation that would come at the end of the system. And this would be a different design because it can really be anything. It could be what you already have from fruit trees to flowers to even we have one lady, she's a British son, and she has a dream that she can sit on her grass and just enjoy a meal with friends. This is maybe not very Mediterranean, but if it is possible with your own wastewater <laughs> and it saves having the truck come up to pump out your fossa septica, your septic tank, which is basically what the solution is for these houses in these urbanizations, because there is no centralized wastewater system that goes out to the purifying plants. No, each house needs to have a septic tank. So the septic tank becomes full after, let's say, 18 months, two years. You have very contaminated water. If there is a overflow there, it is like 
death striking all around the overflow. So if you are in time and you can empty it and you get the truck to come, it's an energy impact. It's a high cost for a lot of people. This happens every three to six months. So that's like three to 500 euros. And if you then make the calcs within two years, you get back what you invest in an installation of a CIRAR or an integral reutilization re system. And this lady is also getting her grass patch. So even that is possible, even though we may not be agreeing with the use of grass in this climate. If the resources are there, the need is there, then why put limitations? Sure, it could be appropriate do? under these circumstances. Well, I'm sold. I mean, I was already convinced of this before and I was considering putting one of, well, I am definitely going to put one of these in or some version of it in as soon as I can. The thing is my septic tank on this property here is sized and is built for three properties in our area. So I do need to communicate that with my neighbors and make sure we're all on the same level. But I definitely see it as a better option than what is currently installed. And we'll definitely be in contact about that. Along, yeah, so along these lines, where do you see the potential for the mitigation or even the, the recovery and regeneration for some of the other risks and natural disasters that come downstream of these droughts. I mean, you, you mentioned the need for wildfire prevention and mitigation. And one of the other things that often comes in sequence with drought is uh, floods, because eventually the rains do come back. And if there's no vegetation and if nothing has been improved in the landscape, it tends to wash a lot of things away. How are you working on these other levels as well? Well, we, we work with agritourisms, for example, and campsites who ask us about water. And then as we are permaculture designers, we say no water design comes without a food design or without a people design or without a economy design. So we're always trying to open the, the flower, the permaculture flower and tell people about, hey, the other things that you could do are also such and such to work in a more holistic way. So we've been working with generative agriculture projects on smaller scales. Uh, like, for example, we've worked with a bodega in the Benedes area. They wanted to actually have the most sustainable hotel in Catalonia. And this was purely for visitors of the bodega. So the installation that was made is both for the hotel as for the mini bodega that has been set up by one of the young generation in the, in the family. And we're looking at restoring the cycle locally, but we're also presenting the, the local firefighters with a reservoir in that area for firefighting. And then we're also working with the people who are doing actually the landscaping design, etc., so that we can, well, collaborate with other professionals, make them also aware of other solutions that exist. So we talk about adaptation of vegetation, we talk about earthworks, we talk about restoring wells and, and getting rivers to flow again because of our interventions. So, but it's, it's, a, it's a difficult task, well, well, difficult, it's complex working with people. And in one of the projects, for example, in one of the campsites that we have been consulting for, the, the people that owned the property or were going to run the campsite were vegan. And the campsite was in a wintered landscape, as in Pyrenees. So that means how many fruit trees and vegetable plots can you install in this type of climate? What is the diet locally? And it wasn't going to be vegan. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, so these types of conversation, having them with clients is sometimes a lot more time consuming than basically doing the design and handing in and saying, okay, this is the maps and start working there. And here's the timeline and you need so many diggers and let's get going. Sometimes you need to be very 
yeah open to what the client's dreams are needs resources limits and then also being sensitive in your communication as in some projects we just cannot take on and we have said no to some projects as in sorry this is just not in context and so we have to say no yeah. which is sometimes hard but yeah it's it's an interesting field of how far do you go and for example another topic there would be with our associations we sometimes get offered grant money to work with bigger projects and if the money were to come from say a vodafone would we take it ah well in this particular case with the vodafone people we did say no but the money is there if people are wanting to work with nature why not accept it and try to do the right thing and this also leads me to think about projects like for example water stories where you are also engaged so sharing the knowledge and opening a community to people who want to restore the water cycle all over the world like they have done like you are doing as well with climate farmers as well and and other projects is just amazing i think that's where the key right now is uh, we've all got this ego for sure and we all are like worried about what other people would say about our mistakes and our errors but if we don't make them and then share them how much time are we going to lose so time is of the essence right now i think and i'm more than happy to share and to band up and collaborate and get this show on the road because we need it we have no water left oh yeah. we need all hands on deck for sure and yeah you and I were talking a little bit previously about the efforts that you're undertaking now in order to expand the network in the local area and draw from the knowledge and the information that is available from the wider communities that we're, many of us are a part of. How are you working on that? What is your goal there? Mm. Well, it's, yeah, sometimes I need to put limits on my wanting to share because, <laughs> of course, a burnt out activist is no use to anyone. But yeah, I'm, I'm collaborating in projects on, on several levels, let's say, from, from global permaculture movements to local associations to then very, very local in my own community here in the Vallalta. I'm part of the uh, co-op, the food co-op, and we take on our task like everybody else to keep the thing going. And we're like 30 odd families. And we're also trying to work on values and uh, what type of produce are we purchasing? Like I particularly got into a bit of a, yeah, <laughs> because we were purchasing salt from Cadiz way down south in Andalusia. And it's a beautiful project and it's fantastic salt, no doubt. And it's got a lot of nutrients in it still. But why do we want to go that far? We have salt pans in the Delta de Libre and specifically also trying to restore that ecosystem. And one of their products is salt. So why not buy this salt? Oh no, there's a lot of contamination in the Ebre River. We don't want to be eating that salt. And this is like, mm, I think we need to be taking responsibility from what we have done as a species and if we are going to be eating just the little bit of contaminations that might be in this sea salt well what is in the air every day and what is in well i particularly live in a area where there is a lot of radon gas so this is also a context that we need to live in and humans have adapted to so much. I am sure you will not die from eating this salt that is local. <laughs> so, but you know, as it, again, enough. we're working. I'm, I'm always curious as to where people draw their personal lines, right? Everyone's is different. Everyone has their ethics and their like their lines that they won't cross. I know my own have shifted through my own learning journey and my own mm. awareness of things as they grow. It's, it's a funny thing that it seems a big part of the negotiation in friend circles and in cooperations and collaborations these days is figuring out where everybody's limits and touch points are. 
Yeah. Well, funny, funny that you should mention that with friend circles, etc. My family in Belgium, they have now opened up to learning more about what it is that I am doing. Because 10 years ago, it was like, yeah, but you live in Spain, you're in a crisis, you need to be thinking about things like that. <laughs> and I was like, hang on, wait a minute, where is your tomato coming from? What do you mean, where is my tomato coming from? Well, the tomato on your plate, where does that come from? Oh, from the supermarket. Yes, where did the supermarket buy this tomato? <laughs> okay, well, maybe in Spain. Yes, most definitely in Spain. <laughs> so it's, it's a global problem that we need to be looking at solving on all levels, locally, bioregionally, globally. So I'm learning a lot on a global size. I'm learning a lot on a local size. I'm sharing wherever I see an opportunity. Sometimes there is overlap. Sometimes people no doubt think, oh no, here is Aline again, trying to teach us something. <laughs> but on the other side, I'm thinking maybe there's, there's, it's better to have heard something twice than not at all. So I'll keep going. For sure. <laughs> Well, look, as we wrap up right now, I'm curious to know what advice you would give to someone who, whether they're really feeling the hurt from the state of emergency and the drought that we're going through, or still feel fairly insulated from it, how can they start to take action and create resiliency for their own consumption, their own needs, and their own water security under the circumstances that we find ourselves in here? Well, one thing that I say always in all of our designs and in all of our modules, if you want to learn more about a system, let's say the food system, the water system, the energy system, then first of all, get educated on what it is that you are working with. So learning about water, how much water is there? Water is a limited resource. We cannot create more water like we can with soil. Soil is renewable, water is not. It is what it is and we will always be more people. So we will need to share out more. So we need to look after it. I think simple data like this, becoming aware of this and, and showing an interest for anything that has to do with the hydrological cycle, the biotic pump, how is rain made? How can we uh, work towards capturing uh, humidity in our own landscapes, etc.? I think this is a great start and it can be as silly as watching a video by the Amurbi sisters, and if you haven't heard of them, I, I highly recommend them. They're like secondary school little educational videos on all sorts of chemical, chemistry, physics and all that kind of topics. And I love that video on the characteristics of water so that you know how water behaves because water actually doesn't always go down. As I said earlier, when you work with gravity, water can also go up. So understanding things like this Apple is like, those, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So get, get involved just by learning and, and also knowing what you need. We, we're working with a community now of 95, 90 odd apartments in the seafront here in our, in our area. And just putting the numbers in front of these community owners, these 90 odd apartment owners, they were like blown away like it's okay so this is how much water you could capture from rainwater and you could regenerate from your gray water because in this case we would only look at the gray water but even if we do that even if we catch all the water that you can from the rain and if we regenerate all the grain wa gray water that you generate in the community we would not even cover your watering need, the garden watering need. And people are like, how have we allowed for this to happen? Who is the gardener? Who put in a... It's silly data, but people don't realize what a garden consumes or what a shower consumes. And knowing these two numbers, what it is that you can get in and what it is that you need or what that you are consuming, it quickly makes you react because it's like, oh, whoa. <laughs> so I'm like way over my budget. And what do you mean there is not enough to cover our needs? And what do you mean we have been using 
so much water all this time. Yeah, we've been pumping it out of the out of the soil. And and for example, we have a certain type of cereal drink. You shouldn't call it milk, but it's 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 oat milk, oat drink. And uh, we buy it particularly because it is with water from your area, from the Montseigne. And so it is spring water. It's fabulous. It's ecological. It is great. We've just been told that they have started pumping up water from 1,900 meters down. How much energy is needed to get that water? Oh my, we're never going to buy that band again. <laughs> so, yeah. At what point where is do you it get still this? called Mountain Spring if you're pumping it up from the deep end reserves yeah. of the earth? Yeah. And ecological. It's an organic brand. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. it's funny we get away with calling things these days. <laughs> indeed. So, yeah, just become interested and get excited and get together with other people because if you feel alone in this, then I can assure you it feels so much harder. But luckily, we are now so much more uh, than we were 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Sometimes I even think, oh my, this is too much. I need to get rid of some of these groups. <laughs> but uh, no, I stick with them because it's very exciting to see how many people are uh, coming on board and asking the questions that I was asking 10 years ago. And now I'm, I'm honored to have learned from many pioneers before me. And I'm still learning every day from experiences in the field. And if I can share, even if it feels like such basic knowledge, I will still try and engage if I can make time for it, because I think it's so important when people are passionate, give them answers and make them think. Well, I can tell you from my side, I can only express deep gratitude for all that you have shared and passed on in the many groups on which we are both members of the local ones here in Catalonia, the international ones on water stories and climate farmers and others. And it's such a joy to have you in your your contributions and your questions in there. We all benefit from this exchange. And it's, it's, it's wonderful to have others who are so passionate about making this knowledge more accessible and taking it beyond feeling guilty for one's consumption or the lies in our packaging and going into, okay, well, what can we do about this? There's real hope, there's real solutions here. And showing examples and success stories of those at a local level has been really inspirational for me. And I really look forward to finding new ways to collaborate and help each other out with our work and our similar goals in this area. So thank you for that. Fantastic. Well, thank you. And thank you for actually helping with this technical side of things, because I have no idea about how to make podcasts and all that. And <laughs> I'm struggling with reels. So I'm trying my best, but I love it that there's people out there who take the time to make this available. And well, share you have to teach me ones. something about social media. I'm terrible at social media. So I'll help you with podcasts. <laughs> you do me with those side and, and we'll come Excellent. together in the middle. <laughs> Diversity is key. Fantastic. No, thanks. Before we go, can you tell our listeners how to get in touch with you and your other half of La Casa Integral and find out more about your work? Yeah, sure. Well, we have a website, although it's not mm, very up to date, but our contact details are there, which is lacasaintegral.org. And we also have Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook under the La Casa Integral name. And my association on Mallorca is permamed.org, which is Permacultura Mediterranea. And so if you are on the Balearic Islands or in the Catalonia area, we are definitely up for a chat or if you're wanting to come by and visit, fantastic. And if you're in the more international movement, then I collaborate with the EUPN, which is the European Permaculture Network, the EUPC, which is the European Permaculture Community. I'm uh, also in the Permaculture Collab, which is where we're also trying to get some resources for the wastewater legislation research and uh, getting clarity on what's happening in the rest of the world. So that's also very exciting. And yeah, water stories where you are as well and climate farmers, although we don't do a lot of uh, big farm consulting, we do have some smaller projects. 
but in this case i'm i'm just learning and happy to know what the reality is of people who are actually putting food on our table every day so and i come from a farming uh background uh, i grew up on a farm on a strawberry farm and will you believe it i am now living in the strawberry area in the maresma in catalonia <laughs> oh, no kidding is it all the wild yep. strawberries that you have over there we well no we have wild strawberries in our garden here because i brought them over from mallorca don't tell anyone <laughs> but no this is big strawberry the whole plastic tunnels oh, yeah, yeah, all yeah. over sure. the mountains and terrible <laughs> but talking talking to the uh, mayor and asking him hey can we not make that ecological farming because that is a terrible industry they come in on plastic rolls they don't even touch the soil i don't think they're just anyway <laughs> Totally different topic. Yeah, that is for another conversation. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, thanks so much. Thank you so much. We'll be in touch soon. Take care. Thanks once again to Aline. I'll put all of the links that she mentioned there at the end to their company at La Casa Integral. And especially if you live in our region of Spain, I would highly recommend that you reach out. Now, before we wrap this up, just remember that these episodes are only the beginning of the learning resources, design and coaching services, in-person courses, and interactive community that are available through Regenerative Skills. The Discord server is our free community where you can connect with other like-minded listeners, exchange ideas, stories, tips, and resources, as well as interact with me directly and quite a few former guests from this show. Our Instagram account, at regen underscore skills, is the best place to see the projects that me and the team are working on, both for clients and collaborators, as well as on our own properties. I'll also be announcing the certification courses, workshops, and gatherings that we've got coming up later this year. If you're interested in getting dedicated support for your own project, you can now schedule a free planning session with one of our team members through the request form on our website. You can also find all the links, show notes, and past resources there at regenerativeskills.com. We truly believe that no matter your experience, your knowledge, abilities, resources, or background, you can be a powerful force for regeneration on this planet, and we're here to help you find your path. So as always, remember to keep taking those little steps every day towards a regenerative future, and I'll be right by your side along the way.